The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Yesterday, we brought you a report about the shortages of GP services. Well, this morning, it was announced that there was the highest ever number of applications for GP training places for the 2024 programme. 350 places will be filled next year, marking an increase of 20% on last year's intake. Uh, The Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, says the figures show that general practice is building on its already strong reputation as a worthwhile career choice for medical graduates. But are we educating them for export, I ask? Now, joining me with a reaction to the findings of yesterday's report, as well as the latest GP News, Dr Mel Bates, Medical Director of North Doc, Dr Jermyn Quinlan, Medical Director of the Irish Council of General Practitioners, and Dr Suzanne Crowe, President of the Irish Medical Council. Good morning and welcome uh, to you all. And we should go to you, uh, Jermyn, first of all, uh, the Irish Council for General Practitioners. Um, It's good news, I suppose, but how do we know that we educate more and more them leave. Good morning, Pat, and uh, great to talk to our colleagues. And it is really good news that the HSC have funded the expansion of GP training. We have accelerated the, the expansion of GP training. Our original plan was to reach an intake of 350 trainees by 2026. But given the severe shortage in our GP workforce, which I know your, your, your listeners have spoken about, that has been accelerated and we've put in a lot of work. So we will have 350 applicants starting GP, right. or 350 people starting yeah. GP training in 2024. Now, there's no way to keep them here. That's the problem. They're, they're, they don't have golden handcuffs on them oh, for a couple oh, of years. Oh, oh, oh. Au contraire, Pat, we have really good data showing that our GP trainees, the vast majority of them stay in Ireland, and it's, it's certainly nowhere near double digits emigrate. And so, some do leave, as I did myself for a few years, and mm-hmm. do maybe trip overseas, or as you say, go to some of your time. But we know that the vast majority by five years okay. are back in this now, country. So what, what they, is, they, it's, it's very good in general practice. German, what is the replacement rate we need? We know that GPs are hanging on long after retirement, some of them, simply because there's no one to replace them. You're absolutely right there, Pat. We know that 14% of GPs, we currently about six. 4,200 GPs in Ireland, 14% of these are about 600 GPs up over the age of 65. So we we need a replacement rate. So we have about 4,200 GPs. All the data, including really good medical council data, and I know Suzanne is on the line as well, uh, say we need at least 50% more GPs. So we need to be well north of 6,000 GPs. And, you know, so we're expanding our GP intake so to 350, but we have a four-year training program. It's a really good training program. It is four years, so our GPs, when they qualify, are really highly qualified. No, I'm a great one. Three years. Uh, German, a great one for doing the mathematics. So we have 4,200 GPs. Is that right? That was That's what you said. Correct. And if you give exactly. a GP an average uh, working life of, uh, say, 30 years, divide by 30, and it means 140 GPs would retire every year. Training 350 every year should more than fill those vacancies. So why is that not happening? I suppose the expansion of GP workload has many drivers, uh, Pat. First year, our population has expanded. We are now north of 5.1 million for the first time since the famine. We have an aging population. Over 800,000 of our patients are now age 65 or over, and these patients require a lot of GP care. Multimorbidity in polypharmacy is really common in this group. 20% of people over 65 are on 10 or more medicines. 
the HSE published the Chronic Disease Management Report in March this year, which showed that of these 800,000 people uh, and the 300,000 getting chronic disease, over 90% of that care was delivered exclusively in general practice. So the vast majority of care of older people happens in general yeah. practice. As you said earlier, we do have the ageing GPs, over 600 over the age of 65. COVID-19 has put a huge additional workload into general yeah. practice. Okay, but basically uh, we are training enough people to take care of the retirements, but we do need to basic to, to move that basic number of 4,200 well up, possibly over 5,000 to get adequate cover. Over six, well, well north of 6,000. 6,000, OK. Including medical council says we need to increase by at least 50%. And that was pre-pandemic. And the pandemic and the expansion of the GMS. And we warmly welcome the expansion of GMS to children, mm. particularly yeah. younger well, children. Th- then well, I do, do the math again, Jeremy. I do the increases the workload for GPs yeah, by 30%. I get all that. But if I do the math again, if everyone stayed and 140 retire every year, it will take nine years to get over 6,000. That's if everyone stayed. And anyway, the last question I have for you, Jeremy, is about um, the, the, the problem of getting appointments. People are saying, well, if you pay, you can get an appointment and so on and so forth. The GMS, if they paid per visit rather than that capitation system they use at the moment, would things improve for everybody? Uh, we provide, and I thought the mantra that I is timely, equitable access to high quality GP care. Our fundamental problem, Pat, is we simply have a massive GP deficit. We know we have increased the number of hospital consultants, HSE doctors, entirely by 18% since start of the pandemic and the GP numbers have increased by less than 5% in that time span. So we are very substantially increasing hospital numbers, we, doctor numbers, we welcome that, but we simply have a major GP workforce shortage. We published a strategy in 20, a year ago, Shaping the Future, uh, with 10 solutions. There's a strategic review of general practice on the way by the Department of Health and we would like to inject a degree of urgency into this. But fundamentally, there is a major shortage of GPs and for patients to get timely access, timely equitable access to GP care, we need to substantially increase the GP. And the okay, GP but, uh, but the question I asked is if they change the method of payment, would it improve things? Would GPs be prepared to work longer hours because they're getting paid per visit rather than paid on a capitation basis? I suppose we already know that GPs, and again, really good data from the Medical Council, GPs in Ireland work 10% longer than GPs working in, in Scotland. That's, that's when they're working, because there are many people who are part-time now, you know, working two days a week, uh, three days a week. Do you have data on that? We have data showing that GPs in Ireland work 6.8 sessions per week, and in Scotland it's 6.2. We know the BMA recommend that GPs should see a maximum of 25 patients per day, Currently, the average number of consultations per day by Irish GPs is 29. So we know our GP colleagues are working really hard day and night, seeing patients uh, in, in their surgeries and in GP out of hours. And we simply need a very substantial uplift in the GP numbers to meet the very reasonable needs so that your listeners, when they need to see a GP, can get timely access very to good. a GP. German, thank you very much. Now, Suzanne Crow, President of the Irish Medical Council. Suzanne, uh, the, the way to create more GPs more quickly might be to allow quick certification of people who are medically qualified, like Ukrainians who might be doctors who come here, if they're not on the front line, uh, perhaps helping uh, wounded soldiers and so on, uh, Syrians, other emigrants who come here, people from third countries. Um, Can we do more there? 
Uh, good morning, Pat, and thanks for inviting me to join the conversation. Um, we have definitely supported an increase in the supply of doctors in the country, firstly by supporting an increase in uh, medical students. So we are now at the highest number of medical students in the country and the highest number of intern places. So that has increased the numbers of doctors coming into the system. But as you rightly point out, we have lots of applications from doctors within the EU and also outside the EU. And we are starting to streamline those and recognize qualifications as quickly as we can. Yeah, because I'm thinking if you have a, a big a, issue. you know, if you have a Romanian here or a Bulgarian or a Syrian or a, a Ukrainian, particularly, I suppose there are many people here, they need services. Their English may not be great. Wouldn't it be fantastic to have a Ukrainian doctor able to minister to them or a Syrian doctor to minister to Syrians? We'd have to register them in the way that they could look after all patients in our country rather than creating ghettos of care where doctors could only uh, look after uh, patients from an individual patient group. That wouldn't be our preference. And we're very keen to maintain the really good standards that are present in our country. Very important. So English proficiency has definitely been a big issue. Only about 10 percent of the Ukrainian doctors Um, are proficient in English. And we have been running English language courses in conjunction with the HSE and the NDTB to try and get doctors up and working as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, you would hate that a misunderstanding about medication or prescription or any kind of activity would lead to uh, some sort of medical misadventure. So that's important. But anyway, you are streamlining the processes. Absolutely. And we're we're very lucky to welcome a lot of doctors from South Africa who are very happy to work as GPs in our country, particularly in rural areas. And Dermot in the ICGP has been developing a very specific training and accreditation program for those doctors. So that will increase the supply as well. But this is an international problem. Sure. Um, the WHO has highlighted the severe shortage of healthcare workers all around the world. And it's set to fall, ironically. So by 2030, there will be 10 million healthcare workers in the world, as opposed to 20 million in 2013. So I think we have to ask the questions as to why people are choosing not to work in healthcare. Yeah, indeed. And uh, every time someone comes on and complains about the conditions for nurses and doctors in A&E and so on, it maybe uh, deters leaving searchers from uh, going, although no shortage of people looking for the points for medicine. Um, thank you very much, uh, Suzanne. Dr. Mel Bates, Medical Director of North Talk, uh, took issue with some of the elements, uh, uh, my comments, I think, yesterday about uh, doctors on call and whether or not that was an appropriate way to do business. Uh, Mel, good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, some of your, your uh, let's put it this way, most of you during your scenes, the ones who didn't are who... Mel, you're, you're, it's not a conspiracy on our part because you're going to have a go at me, but your line is uh, pretty desperate. Maybe you could move uh, slightly towards a window or something like that to get a better signal. We'll try again. Uh, let, let's try Mel. You're there. No, we have lost Mel. I think we'll come back to Mel on a different occasion, uh, perhaps. So are you there, Mel? I am indeed, oh, yes. Much Matt. better. Much uh, better. I just wanted to clear, clear up with one or two things. First of all, 90% of the, of the GPs and the, that, that patients see in out of ours are, their lo- are among their local GPs who work in the daytime. They're not guns for hire. And the other 10% are highly competent 
um, GP sessional doctors who are doing the overnight so that the yeah. other see, GPs are that, able to work that, the next the, day. You see, this is my issue. When you've got group practices, the whole idea was that uh, you provide your own, every group practice with eight or nine doctors. Between them, they provide a, a service out of ours. That's the way it used to be. It wasn't done through third-party commercial interests. And also, I made the point yesterday, I can get my dog seen to from uh, 7.20 in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning until 8.20 in the evening, Monday to Friday. I can get my dog seen to from 9 until 4 on a Saturday, 9 uh, to 4 on a Sunday. You don't get that kind of service from the medical profession. Why not? Absolutely, because seeing the patients is much more complicated than seeing dogs or cats or otherwise. Uh, and you also mentioned about you know part-time uh, um, GPs. And there's, there's no GPs who start off as part-time. They have to be trained full-time. And then during a certain part of their lives, they, they choose to work part-time. Now, it, it's basically a choice between part-time GPs and no time GPs for that particular mm. group at a particular time in their lives. So we should be giving them credit for being present rather than being absent. And they're a very important part of the workforce. I'm a GP trainer, yeah. and I can tell you the, the quality of the trainees that have been coming through in the last 10 years are really superb. Uh, all right. Look, uh, I take your point that you may well be seen by a local GP rather than a stranger in the night uh, when you call for one of the out-of-hours services. But Mel, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We'll have to renew this debate because I think there's a lot more to be said on the subject. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.